Uh, welcome to episode two of Everything Leafs. My name is Nick D'Souza, and I'm here with Kevin Pafetti. Kevin, how are you doing today? You know, not too bad, I guess. I mean, it's been a rough week, three losses, but uh, getting through it. Uh, you can't say it's a bad week when it was your birthday yesterday. Yeah, but Tavares went and broke his finger. He's kind of being selfish there, so he kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was definitely not a great time to uh, break his finger. But uh, as you said, Kevin, a tough week. Leafs had four games this week since our last episode, and they dropped three of the four. Uh, what has been your take on this past week? I mean, it's been tough, obviously, with the back-to-back, so Leafs got a bit unlucky there. And anytime you're without your first-line center, it's going to be tough. So, we, I mean, there was the, the overtime loss against Columbus, uh, where it was just a rough start, two goals in the first six minutes, and, and the Leafs came back to get a point. And then I think after the Boston game, it was a 4-2 loss to Boston, where they just didn't really show up in the third and second half of back-to-back. And it just seemed to have a lot of the skies falling takes on, on Twitter after that one. I think anytime you lose to Boston, people kind of freak out. And then I thought it was a great performance against San Jose, 4-1 win. Only allowed 17 shots to, to San Jose. So that was really one of the best defensive performances of the season. And then uh, they kind of blew that last night where five goals against led in five goals against the Habs uh just didn't show up in the first and I mean there was just a a few too many miscues but I mean at least three points I guess out of a possible eight um I think they're just kind of counting down the days now till when they get Tavares, Hyman and and Dermott back. Yeah and it seems like that time is coming quite soon and uh yeah I mean after that game on Tuesday against the Bruins the the takes that we were seeing like you said, there's no game that brings out the hot takes like a Boston Bruins game in Boston. And to add the the cherry on top, no Tavares in that game, no Dermot, no Hyman, uh, plus the second game of a back-to-back with Hutchinson and Nett. So right. um, definitely the uh, a lot of hot takes coming after that game. Yeah, and I mean, we heard a lot of criticism of Babcock. And, you know, I think there is warranted criticism there of Babcock, but... Some, it's getting a little bit over the top at times now where, you know, one shift or, I mean, just small details are getting criticized now, which, which really don't move the dial much. I would say with, with Tavares out, with, with Hyman out, you're, you're missing two-thirds of your matchup line. And, I mean, Dermot isn't a number one, but he's a pretty good player. So, I mean, three good pieces out. I think any time you're that shorthanded especially on the second half of a back-to-back with Hutchison. Like, I don't know what people are expecting. Boston's a good team, really a top-three team in the NHL. Uh, they beat them once. They kind of stole one uh, the week before. But uh, tough, tough ass to go, go into Boston on that, on that Saturday night and, and try to get a win. You know, you brought up Mike Babcock. The past two weeks haven't been too pretty in terms of, uh, I guess, his relationship with Leafs Nation. Um, we've seen a lot of, you know, hot takes about him. And I mean, I think that's a good segue to talk about this. This is one of the most popular kind of conversations that you see online and, and even amongst the mainstream media, a lot of criticism coming up Mike Babcock. Uh, I would, my take on him right now is it seems like a lot of people are kind of past the, um, keeping Mike Babcock. And I mean, I, I kind of understand those people, I mean, it has been a frustrating few years in, in terms of the two Boston uh, playoff series, but I would have to say that those 
people that really want him fired are going to have to be patient. When you really break down their schedule thus far this year, and if you would consider um, Boston, Washington, Tampa Bay, and St. Louis, if we consider those four teams and we consider them as top 10 teams, they've gone one and four against those teams. And then when you look at the other half of the schedule of non-top 10 teams, they've, they've gone five, one, and two. So, you know, thus far, I would say that they've lost the games that you almost expect them to lose, especially without Tavares, Hyman, and Dermott for most of those games. And they've won most of the games that they were supposed to win. Like I said, there were five, one, and two, and two of those losses were on a back-to-back against Montreal. So, I mean, and, and you know, you could say that those are just wins and losses, but when you actually also look at their PDO and, and their shot differential, their, their shot differential, they're, they're fourth right now in on-ice Corsi um, as a team. And their goaltending this year at 5-on-5 five five has been is the fifth worst um, in the league. So, you know, like I said, if you want Mike Babcock to be fired, it's you're going to have to wait a little bit because the injuries are going to get better. Hyman and Dermot are expected to come back this week. The schedule also gets a lot easier in November. I expect the Leafs to start winning um, a bunch of games, and you'll kind of see the them rise back up to the standings in terms of their their win percentage. But you know, I think the Leafs are going to be fine. But I think we need to think about at what point does this Leafs organization they're going to have a, a tough decision to to say at what point does fine how how good is fine, and and at what point do we say is is fine good enough for a team this talented? Yeah, I mean they. They've taken care of business with, I mean, games against one game. Their early game against Ottawa, early game against Columbus, uh, fairly early game against Detroit and Minnesota. So they've won a lot of the games they've been expected to. I mean, I think you looked at the schedule coming in and, and you saw a lot of back to backs, and it, it's not easy. Like it's a little bit unusual to have this many. Uh, with, I mean, they did show up against against Tampa and that that loss. I thought they outplayed St. Louis. St. Louis is a good team. I thought they deserved that one. Uh, where Binghamton just stood on his head. Um, so, I mean, when I look at the Leafs and I and I hear the sky is falling takes, I'm kind of looking for like up front at least. I'm pretty happy with this group up front. Like, do you have any concern about a Hyman Tavares Marner line right now or a Janssen? Matthews Nylander like do either of those lines concern you no, whatsoever? not at all I mean we've seen a big enough sample of Tavares Marner and Hyman uh, playing against the other team's top lines and we saw how they played against uh, the Bergeron line last year and I don't think anyone can really question that line right and I would I would say like Marner led the league in primary points per minute so first so goals and first assists uh, at five on five last year and I mean, whether it's Tavares, whether it's Marner, uh, whether it's Hyman, I think that that line's capable defensively. And then, uh, I mean, we just, we discussed this last last episode, but the Matthews Nylander duo has had a ton of success together. And I mean, I like Janssen there, just a guy that can go to the net. Uh, so I think once you get Hyman back, once you get Janssen back, this is a pretty loaded top six. Uh, is there any disputing that, Nick? I don't think anyone can say that. I mean, they there has been some question about Matthews the last week, but you know when Tavares comes back, he's almost kind of that safety cushion for Matthews, where Matthews doesn't have to play the best lines 
on the other team, the best, the top line on the other team. Um, since Tavares is out, I think Matthews has had to take on that role, and we've kind of learned that Matthews isn't ready for that. And I mean, at full strength, we don't need to really worry about that because Matthews doesn't need to take that role because of Tavares. I think when you have someone who shoots the puck like Matthews, you want him in the offensive zone as much as possible. You want him against weak competition as much as possible just to capitalize on. I mean, anytime you can get him a shot, that's that's your best chance of scoring. So, I mean, Tavares just pushes everyone down the depth chart. You get Matthews out in, in favorable matchups, and I think right now he's, he's probably not getting it to the same extent. Um, how about the third line, Nick? Because I know we talked about uh, we talked about Kerfoot last episode uh, and how we were like in his game. Do you still feel that over the last week? I think Kerfoot has impressed me more and more every game. I thought last night he made a few mistakes, but all in all, he has looked better every single game. I'm quite confident uh, in him being the third line center. Um, and then if, if you put Mikhaev next to him and uh, Kapanen on the other side, Kapanen, um, I think everyone would say has really improved in the past week. He's His game kind of looks like what it was last year. Uh, back to his normal self, really. And him and McKay have just caused so much chaos on the ice and their speed really complements each other. I'm really excited to see that line um, just continue to grow once uh, Hyman's back. Would you agree? Yeah, I think with, I mean, Kerfoot to me has been, Kerfoot and McKay have been the two uh, most pleasant surprises, I would say, if surprise is the right word. But, I mean, Kerfoot's been responsible defensively and we weren't too sure how he'd play center because he didn't get a huge sample. Uh, I thought he looked good there last year, but I couldn't say that with absolute confidence because, I mean, we just didn't have a big enough sample. So, I mean, he's been responsible defensively. He's he's a pretty hard-nosed center, uh, which helps him in the transition game and helps him win battles, and he's been going to the net and generating chances. Um, and then Makayev just... And I know you you talked at length about Makayev last episode, but... I mean, 10 points in 13 games so far. Uh, he's been good on the penalty kill, just brings so much energy. Uh, he almost looks like a Hyman light to me. Uh, and then I don't think anyone's doubting whether Kapanen could be a good third-line player. I think everyone's pretty much in agreement there. So looking at this top nine, Nick, is there any reason for concern whatsoever? No, I think the one concern, if you even would want to call it a concern, is whether Hyman can come back and really be the same player as he was last year. And I, it's tough to say right now, but at this point, we have no reason to, to worry about Zach Hyman. He's the type of guy that every time he's on the ice, he's con- contributing in some way. Um, his work ethics is always there. So, um, And it, it, it sounds like the Leafs have been quite patient in bringing him back. Uh, whether that's for salary cap reasons or just to make sure that he's at 100% when he's coming back. So uh, if any concern, I guess that would be it. But that's that's kind of just picking straws at this point. Right. And I don't think a fourth line is going to make or break them. But, I mean, it's always nice to, to kind of win at the margins. I think Trevor Moore is the shoe in there. Uh, if he's not in the top nine, he's, he's going to be on the, in the lineup. Uh, just the work ethic. If he plays heavy. Uh, Babcock seems to like that. You can use him on the power play. You can use him on the penalty kill. So just such a versatile player. Uh, Goche's played every game so far. I don't think he's been as good of late. He got off to a really hot start. Uh, he's been fighting the puck a little bit uh, of, of late. 
Uh, Nick Shore doesn't really move the dial much for me. I mean, he's got he's got the one point in, in ten games, and I know that's not his role. Um, but I don't really notice him out there. Uh, I think Timashaw has been pretty good. Uh, who do you see as Trevor Moore's line mates? Come, let's say when when the team's fully healthy, because for me it looks like Batan's on his way out. Uh, I don't know if I see Spezza in that in that line. What do you think? I you know due to the rumors that sounded like Patan would is on the trading block. I guess it does look like he's the guy that's going to be out. Assuming that he stays with the team and they had kind of have to um, pick someone else to to either go down to the Marlies or to trade. But just based on the players that they have now with Hyman back and, and everything, my line would be obviously Trevor Moore on the right side. Frederick Gauthier, I think still, to me, he's looked better than Jason Spezza. Last night, Spezza looked pretty good. Um, kind of the, the Jason Spezza that we all expected. But I would still have Gauthier there for now. And I think Nick Patan would be my guy on the left wing. That I, I really think that that fourth line is going to spend a lot more time in the offensive zone than what they have been. Uh, we've seen the way Mike Babcock uses them. A lot of defensive zone starts, but with Moore's transitional play and his puck carrying, I think that that line is going to really get a boost and really going to start spending more time in the offensive zone. And also, we I think it's easy to forget how impactful Travis Dermott was to um, you know the third pairing when he was on the third pairing last year. He's on ice impacts, especially to the third and fourth lines last year, especially the first half of the season when he was healthy, were incredible. And the third and fourth lines for the Leafs, the forward lines, whenever they were with Travis Dermott, were dominating other teams' third and fourth lines. So if Dermott can come, and I think he's going to start on that third pairing, uh, maybe potentially next to Justin Hall. If he can come back and he can play the same way that he was last year, and he looks like the same Travis Dermott, I'm expecting that fourth line to to really spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. And if if Patan can be on that line, I think it'd be really good. And they could almost recreate what we saw last year with Moore and Ennis on that fourth line. So I want to point something out here. So last night against Montreal, the fourth line had... At 5-on-5. The fourth line had 13 defensive zone starts and no offensive zone starts. And then you compare that to the Kerfoot line. So the Kerfoot line had, Kerfoot specifically, had 10 offensive zone starts, no defensive zone starts. Um, and then Matthews also had 10 offensive zone starts, no defensive zone starts. So they're using the fourth line pretty much out against any anyone. So it could be a first line, could be a second line. Uh, but they're using them as almost a face-off, get-off type line. And... For me, I think Patan's a goner. I think he's a. I just don't see him. Uh, and at first, like heading into the year, I wanted Patan in that role. Now I think I'm agreeing with Babcock more, where I like having Timashov because with Timashov, Timashov and more, like Babcock always talks about. I mean, the big asses, <laughs> which is. Uh, a good good interview, but they just win battles. So I think you're gonna have more on one side. I think you're gonna have Gochi up the middle. I think it's not gonna be Timashov or Patan. I actually think it's gonna be Shore or Spezza because 
they give you a right-hand face-off option. So then you know you have, whether it's Goche, whether it's Shore Spezza, you know you're going to have a, a good chance to win that draw. And if they're going to be used that way, if they're going to get a ton of defensive zone starts, I think I like having the, the two center options. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to ask you this. Uh, you, you're you usually bang on on, on trades uh, in the past. So what do you think uh, Nick Patan trade would look like um, if the Leafs make that? I think it's going to be like a conditional pick. I, I don't think they're getting much. Uh, I mean, they got him for Parlindholm. So, I mean, Parlindholm's a third-line center at the, the Bruins last time I checked. But uh, And a goal scorer. I, yeah, like I wouldn't even be shocked if he went on waivers. I don't know if he'll get claimed. Um, he'd obviously be a big addition to the Marlies, who, who could probably use the help up front right now. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked. I'd like to see him get an opportunity somewhere, even if it's not in Toronto. Uh, similar to a guy like Levo. Yeah, and I know you and I talked extensively during the summer about Nick Patan and whether he'd be uh, on the team this year. And, and I, mean, I mean, I feel like he's completely blown me away. I think that he's a legitimate NHL player, and I also would like to see him uh, on a team. And, and, you know, like I said, I hope it's the Leafs' fourth line. Yeah, it's just they have no cap space, largely thanks to Mitch Marner. But, I mean, they're not going to be able to run many spares. Uh, I probably like Patan more than Babcock, I'm guessing. But, you know, I don't mind just using Goche and Spezza just for, or Goche and Shore just for defensive zone draws because I, I like having Matthews in the offensive zone as much as possible. Uh, I like having Marner in the offensive zone as much as possible. Uh, I, I think you can overdo it where you start playing that fourth line too much rather than, like, you want to play your stars when they're ready to go on the ice. But it, it does intrigue me to kind of see it for a, a larger sample here because, I mean, obviously, if you can get Matthews in the offensive zone more, uh, there's more value than, than putting Gochi there. Right, and, you know, I, I feel like we've seen in the past where Babcock can overuse some of his fourth line and third line, but you know one thing he is very good at is he's very good at putting lines out there in roles where they can succeed. Uh, I know we saw it a lot a few years ago when with the uh, Marner JVR Bozak line where they were just getting a ton of offensive st- uh, zone starts, and uh, you know he's doing a little bit of that this year as well with with the Matthews line and as you said putting out a bunch of defensive zone starts for the Gauthier line. Right, and comparing it to where we were last year with, I mean, last year around this time, there's no Nylander. You had Marlowe in the top six. You had, I think, Connor Brown in the top six for a long time. Uh, I would say there were a lot more question marks, and, I mean, we had no idea at the time where Marlowe would be in the playoff lineup. We had no idea where Brown would be in the in the playoff lineup. Now it just seems like we're... We're focused on really just the fourth line, uh, which is kind of nice having that. I mean, I think there's a little bit more confidence that the Leafs will have a confident forward unit come playoff time. Yeah, and I think also they also had Nikita Zaitsev and Ron Hainsey to worry about on defense. I think that's a good segue um, to the defense this year. It's been an interesting week for the defensive core this week, um, you know, the last four games. So... Uh, what have you thought about them? We'll start with the first line with Riley and CeCe. Yeah, I think if you're going to criticize this Leafs team, like for me it's not 
the Babcock thing is, I mean, you, you could argue about it all day, but for me, the, the main focus for Babcock is can he find a shutdown pairing? And it's going to be a, a long process. I mean, it's it's kind of unpredictable what he'll do, but for me, CC takes a lot of flack. I mean, even if he doesn't make him a huge mistake, like you're going to see it on Twitter, I think people have seen the numbers from, from past years and uh, kind of anchored their opinion to it. But to me, he's been fine. He's not the best skater, and I think it is a little bit easy to gain the zone against him. Uh, so I don't know if I love him against other top lines. But he's a better puck mover than Zaitsev. He's got some size. He's got some strength. Uh, I'm not calling him a good top four defenseman or anything, but uh, for me, CeCe's been better than Zaitsev. Can we at least say that? Yeah, I think he's definitely a player that is in a role that he's not going to thrive in. I mean, he's not a top four defenseman to me either. Um, and I think he's definitely better than Nikita Zaitsev. Zaitsev might be one of the most confusing players for me or, or the hardest player to really evaluate. He looks like a player that is a decent skater. And, you know, he, he looks like he has all the tools that are... I'm not, not going to get too too deep into Nikita Zaitsev here. Uh, this is everything Leafs, not everything Sens, after all. But, um, yeah, I mean, with Zaitsev, it just seemed like he had the tools to be a decent top-four defenseman, and it just never really came together. With CC. yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty talked about about the problems that he has had in the past. But, I mean, he, him and Riley, I, I think that line, just due to Riley's expect, the expectations that we have for Morgan Riley... Um, I think he's had a down year thus far. It's only been 13 games, but I mean, CC's done as as better than I think a lot of people expected, which is all we can really ask of him. I kind of just want to give CC a chance. Like it's a little bit early to declare that he's not working here. Like I think he could be potentially a good third pairing guy. Uh, the Leafs need someone to kill penalties. I mean, Tyson Berry's not going to kill penalties. Uh, you have yeah Muzzin, but I mean Dermot and Riley are probably both second unit guys rather than first unit guys, especially uh, considering it's a right-handed role next to Muzzin. So I'm okay with CC for now. I think uh, there seems to be a few people out there who are convinced that the Leafs are going to trade him. I think he's here to stay. I think there's maybe like a five percent or maybe a bit. Maybe a 15% chance they, they trade him. Uh, but I don't see that in the cards. Do you think, what do you think the odds are that they move? Um, yeah, I, I definitely think a lot higher than you would think. I'm, I, I think that I would be a little bit closer to about 30 to 40%. Maybe that's my optimistic side talking. Uh, when they made that deal for Zaitsev, I mean, I, I think it was an obvious deal multiple years of Zaitsev is worse than one year of Cody Cece. Um, when they signed the contract, I was a little confused. But right now, I would say, yeah, I would say it's about 30 to 40% that they will trade him. They still have time. It's still only October. Um, they're giving him tough minutes, but I just can't see Kyle Dubas being okay with having Cece in their top four. Um, and I can't see Mike Babcock moving CC to the third pairing in order to bring Travis Dermott up and running a, a top four of Muzzin, Barry, Riley, Dermott, which 
sounds really good to I think a lot of people, but I just don't see Babcock doing that. And that's not that's not really a chirp to Babcock. Um, I can see why he wouldn't want to run that just based on what he's done in the past. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's higher than than fifteen percent for now. But I, again, that could be my optimistic side talking. Yeah, I think you probably won that one. I think it's probably thirty to forty. But I don't see it like some people are talking like it's seventy or, or seventy five. But yeah, I I don't think uh, you could say really it, anyone ever is gonna get you know seventy to eighty percent gonna get traded. Even Nick Patan, I wouldn't put seventy percent on that. I'd put maybe like fifty. 60 oh, i'd put 70 on that you put one. 70 on that one we'll see with that yeah unless there's some injuries here in the near future but cc's a tough trade because he's a rental so it's it's a matter of who do you trade him to because to me you almost have to trade him to a playoff team because he's a rental um and then i think they want to get someone another defenseman back in the deal if they were to do it so for me it's just there's so few teams where it makes sense for um, but yet again, the, the Ducks just traded for Eric Branson. So, I mean, I guess you never know. But I'm, I'm thinking CeCe's going to be on the Leafs. I think he's going to be in the top four come playoff time. But uh, I think ultimately I'd like to see him on that on that third pair. But uh, again, the, the Leafs need a matchup, a, a matchup pairing. And looking at this roster, I'm just not seeing it. So what would be your lines? Let's say Dermot has comes back, he plays a few games with a third pairing, he looks great, and he's ready to potentially go into the top four. What would be your defensive pairings? Yeah, I liked I liked Muzz and Riley last year. I know that's not going to happen, but... And who would be uh, on the right side last... there? Riley. Okay. And then, like, it looks like Dermot's going to be the guy to slide over. I wouldn't mind a Muzz and Dermot pairing. I know Dermot still has some questions in his own end, but... Uh, we know he's good at, at defending the line, and I think if you can keep top lines out of out of your zone, it's it's at least progress. I mean, it looks like the alter like the alternatives aren't any better in their own end. So that's that's kind of where I stand on it. Uh, but again, if if you do that, then do you go Riley Barry, and and you have you have a very offensive pairing where they don't really defend all that well i think i think we need more out of riley and barry um barry specifically and i want to talk about barry here so barry he was at at the time it seemed like he was the big piece in in the codger trade the leafs haven't had a a high-end right shooting defenseman in ages uh so so getting barry was really something we were looking for 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 a few years if not maybe a decade but uh, so he's got four points in, in 13 games. Uh, this is a guy who who's came close to 60 points over the last two seasons, and if he played the whole year, I think he he would have got to 60 points in both those years. Uh, he hasn't had a point in his last 10 games. So he had two opening night against Ottawa. He had two in the third game against Montreal uh, when they when they blew the lead there. Uh, we haven't seen him hit the scoreboard and and part of that is probably just bad luck and and on ice shooting percentage but uh, I thought he was responsible for for two or three goals last night against Montreal and it just it seems like the Leafs need more from him would you where do you stand on Barry right now 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. He really doesn't have many excuses to say um, just because he's next to Muzzin who's been I, I think unanimously the best defenseman on the Leafs and he's been outstanding this year so Barry isn't going to bring much defensively to the team um, and you know we knew that but he so I mean if he's not bringing it offensively then there is some something to be concerned about he started off really well I know that he made a couple of really big plays and, and set up, I think it was the goal against Ottawa, was it, where uh, Makayev scored? I think it might have been Ottawa, but and he, he started off really good, and I was really high on him, but the last 10 games have been, it's been a little bit invisible, and when he is noticeable, it's not in the right reasons. So, right. yeah, so I mean, we'll see where it goes. I think... The, the slogan of our, our past this episode and last episode has been it's still early but um once Dermot comes back and and you know potentially the usage changes a little bit we'll see how Barry does yeah and I was looking at some of his numbers from last year so he finished fifth in the NHL on power play ice time last year players ahead of him were Ovechkin Carlson John Carlson McKinnon on his own team and Kucherov so he got a ton of power play time he played on that unit with McKinnon, Landis Cog, Rantanen. And so he played 355 a game last year on the power play. He's down to 144 this year, so not even not even half. Uh, part of that is the Leafs just aren't generating many many penalties. What else is new? But the other the other end of that is that he's on the second unit. And I can't say that I've loved the second unit right now. Um, I do think that the Leafs need to, to get answers for that because when when the top guys are off, you need to get the odd goal. And with with Barry there, uh, they should have a high-end power play quarterback to kind of get them going. So uh, for me, I mean, the points are nice. Uh, the, the Him being a little bit better defensively, winning more battles, that's what I'm looking for. But it's going to be interesting to see his free agent market or his free agent price because, I mean, it's contract year, and I'm going to take the under on his regular point total, which is around in the high 50s. I think he's going to be maybe in the low 50s. Uh, maybe he hits the high high 40s. Um, and a lot could change. I mean, he could end up on the first, first unit, but... Uh, just off the top of your head, where do you see his AAV over, you know, like a, a six-year deal? Oof. Um, at the rate he's going, I mean, I don't see him either, you know, even coming close to 60 points, especially if he stays on that second power play unit. Um, if he is at around four, I mean, it's tough to say because we just saw a player like Jake Gardner get the contract that he got. Um, I mean, he had injury concerns, so again, there's there's some other, almost an asterisk there. It's tough to say. I would say it around, on, on a six-year deal, the way that he's going, I would probably say about four to five mil. I know that a lot of people have it higher, and since he's a right-handed defenseman who has had a history of that, I mean, probably closer to five, even. I think he's well, higher than that. Like, how I would, would say, say? I think he's going to be like 
I think he's going to have a chance to be close to seven. Uh, whether we want to give him that or not is is another story. But I mean, right shooting defenseman with with his history, I would say close to seven. Now maybe with a bad season, he goes he goes closer to six. Um, but when you said four to five million, is that what you think he'll get, or what you'd be willing to pay him? What I'd be willing to pay him, he. That'd be assuming if the Leafs could squeeze him in under that. Um, you're you're hoping here that he'd be able to take a contract to stay with the Leafs, but I mean he's only been here for you know a month now, so to ask him to take a team friendly deal to just to stay with the Leafs is asking a lot. If yeah, I mean on the open market he probably gets more, but I don't I don't see him getting a point total to really dictate that much money. But I'm sure a team would give him probably six around there. But, you know, if he stays with the Leafs, hopefully it's around four to five. Yeah, I mean, four, I think the Leafs would sign today. Five, I think they signed today. But if it gets to, like, my question is, does it get under six? I don't think so. Um, I think it'll be over six. I think with this year, he'll probably be under seven, uh, especially when you consider his defensive game. But, I mean, teams teams know who Tyson Berry is. One, if he's if he's in the four, high 40s this year, they're still going to know what he is. Um, but judging by your comments, I mean, the Leafs are going to have to make decisions here. Do you Would you prefer to re-sign Muzzin right now, or, or would you prefer the right-hand shot in Berry? And you only have to pick. You have to pick one. You have to pick one. So you have, you have, yeah. Just basically, basically, you have to pick one. And Barry is uh, twenty-eight right now, and I believe Muzzin's thirty. So Muzzin's ter- turning thirty-one in in February. I'm gonna have to go Jake Muzzin, um, just because of what he brings the team. Um, I think he. When you look at his game thus far this year, and even even last year when he joined the team, um, he's brought this team something that, and I know this has been harped on ever since he came on the team, he brings something the Leafs really don't have, and that's that that mean defenseman who can play heavy minutes, who can play PK. He leads the team in ice time this year on 5-on-5 five five and on the penalty kill. He And he's you know he's done a great job in that ice time too. Um, it's not only that he's played a lot, he's done well in that time as well. Uh, I think that his AAV a year would be less than what Barry would get. And, and potentially they could have him sign one that he doesn't, they don't have to give up too much term, uh, due to his age as, as we know the age norms. Yeah. I think he's good enough to command a four or five year deal, uh, if not more, it's going to be a little concerning signing someone who's 31. Uh, but I, I flipped on this. So at, at the start of the year, I said, I think I'd rather re-sign Barry uh, just because the Leafs haven't had a right-shooting defenseman like him in years. We know firsthand how difficult it is to acquire uh, a right-shooting defenseman that's as good as Barry. Uh, but now, now looking at it, as you said, like the Leafs need someone to go out and kill penalties, someone to go take a matchup line. Uh, another thing that kind of convinced me is I want to see Rasmus Sandin on the power play next year. 
Uh, I think he's outstanding at it. And if you have Riley Berry, he's not going to get that opportunity. So I think just when you're trying to, to bring along a prospect like Sandin, uh, or Sandine, sorry, I think Muzzin's the better fit. Now, with Muzzin, if you're giving a 31-year-old a five-year deal, or even a, even a four-year deal, the end's not going to look great. Um, but this might be one of those situations where they just bite the bullet. They know that uh, there's going to be some bad years at the end, and they know that they might have to, to use a first or, or a prospect down the road to kind of get out of that deal. Um, could you see like a, a Marlowe situation coming here where you, you kind of enjoy him for one year and then uh, at the end you kind of have to give up an asset to get out of it? With Muzzin, I'll, again, take the optimistic road where let's say they sign him to a four-year deal, five-year deal. Let's say five-year deal at worst. So he'll be 36 at the end of it. I would hope that Muzzin's usage at the end of that deal would be different from the beginning of that deal, where at that time they have Riley there uh, still on the left side. They have Sandine, who's going to be five years old, four to five years older, depending on the deal, um, to take that top four left side. And you have Muzzin there on the, the third pairing of the left side uh, to kind of kill penalties. I mean, we're only a year uh, removed from Ron Hainsey being on this team and at the age that he was playing and he was playing with big minutes and playing on the penalty kill. So, I mean, a 36-year-old Jake Muzzin, and, you know, it's never good to compare to Ron Hainsey at that age, but if a 36-year-old Jake Muzzin's playing on the third pair, um, minimal minutes at five on five and and a lot of minutes on the penalty kill and, and hopefully you don't see too far of a drop-off that I see that contract being worth it. Um, but hopefully we're not seeing the same usage as at the end of his contract at, at the beginning. Right, and you could adjust the usage if he starts to struggle, but, I mean, he's still going to have the same the same AAV. My thoughts would be that you, you kind of front-load the deal. Right. Uh, that way you can you can offload him to a team like Ottawa or Arizona if you have to. Uh, that's something the Leafs should be doing with, with most of their long-term deals. But, I mean, yeah, I guess we did just see Hainsey at, at, what, 37, 38? Yeah, 38, uh, yeah, something like that. And then, I mean, you look at guys like Chara. So I think for a defensive defenseman, uh, and, and the guy is a competent puck mover like, like Muzzin, uh, you might see him have a bit longer of a career. But I still think anytime you're signing a 31-year-old, uh, to a long-term deal, you're, you're going to see some side effects on the back end. But at this point, I'm not sure what choice the the Leafs have. Like, this is their contending years. They need someone just like Muzzin. Uh, if you don't sign Muzzin, you're probably going to have to go the trade route and, and give up, you know, prospects or or, or picks. So uh, I'd go. I I think I want to re-sign Muzzin. Uh, as of now, he's been playing well, other than the the little blender he had against Montreal last night to start the third. But uh, just looking at the roster, uh, it, it seems like the Leafs made a good choice to give up, I believe it was a first, uh, Sean Dursey and, and Carl Grundstrom. Uh, that trade's looking good to me right now. Uh, any regrets there? Definitely not. I mean, I think about what this team would look like if they never made that deal. and. You know, to get a player like Jake Muzzin, a legitimate top four uh, defenseman, without giving up any of your current roster players, um, and and 
you know, Carl Grundstrom was good and, and, you know, Sean Dursey should be a pretty good player, but I wouldn't call them high-end prospects. I think that the first round pick is probably the most valuable thing that they gave up there. Um, so, I mean, definitely no regrets from that trade. Right. So, I mean, looking at the defense, once Dermot's back, so I look at this team on the back end and I see four defensemen that I'm quite high on. Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, Tyson Berry, Travis Dermott. For me, the tools are there to have a good decor. Um, I think CeCe's been a little bit better than I've expected. I'm not ready to call him a star or even an average defenseman, but uh, I don't think he's been horrible or anything. And then whether it's Justin Hall, whether it's Marinson, whether it's Gravel, um, whether it's someone like Jordan Smaltz or, or maybe a kid down the road like Lilligren or Sandine, uh, to me, there's enough pieces there to make it work. I am just, for me, the biggest, the biggest challenge I have, or the biggest focus I have on Babcock will be his ability in the future here uh, to build a, a decor that works because you're going to have Kucherov come playoff time. You're going to have Bergeron's line come playoff time. You better have a pairing that can at least, at least competently work uh, shut down those lines yeah it's still it's and it's still early i mean i i'm i think you said last week that last year we saw certain pairings and then all of a sudden at the end right uh, babcock just brought in Zaitsev and and muzzin and so i mean i i think that they understand that they also need a a shutdown pairing and they saw how good that pairing did against bergeron last year um so I'm not too worried about that just yet, but that's definitely the biggest concern um, regarding this team, just on paper anyways. Right. So to recap, I mean, the fo- there's nothing really to worry about in terms of the forwards, uh, especially the top nine and, and the, the fourth line isn't going to make or break you. You have Trevor Moore in case there's an injury uh, in that top nine. Um, and then you look at the defense. I think the pieces are there. Uh, there's a little bit of reason for concern where it's tough to find what the shutdown pairing will be. But uh, again, it's early. We have some time to kind of play around with that. Uh, I don't think anyone's worried about Frederick Anderson. And, and I mean, we know Anderson's been one of the most consistent goalies in the NHL over the last few years. Uh, I think he's been either 918 or 917 um, over the last three. So you can't get much more consistent than that. Uh, Hutchison, not sure what to think of him as of yet. I'm not sure if he's going to be an average backup. But again, beggars can't be choosers. There, they only have you know pennies of pennies of cap space. Uh, maybe they could swing a deal at the deadline somehow uh, if a team retains. Maybe, but uh, you know, for now, I'm just going to say it's early and give him another at least five games to kind of see what he can do. Uh, but maybe you know, give him a game that's not. Uh... Against the back-to-back. Yeah, so let's let, that's a good transition. For, because there's so much talk about Babcock this past week, whether it's on Twitter or, or on the radio or on a podcast you listen to, I think there was a little bit of overreaction, probably a little bit due to the Boston loss. Um, I mean, the back-to-back came up. Uh, you're you're kind of hearing some new criticisms every night. I think there's some legitimate 
criticisms there over the years. I mean, he's been here for, I think this is his fourth season here in Toronto. So over that time, there's been some some legitimate criticisms, I would say, and, and some things that are probably overblown. For you, what's your assessment of Babcock? Uh, what do you think is overblown, and, and what do you think is a legitimate criticism for you? Yeah, I kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier, um, just about how at the moment the criticisms that he's getting, I understand why people are nitpicking at his coaching. He's now in his fifth season. You know, two years ago when they lost against Boston, they, you know, I think it was a 50-50 coin flip. Their team, they still had a lot of holes in their roster. Um, they were able to force Game 7 even without Kadri. They, and then they lost that series. Um, you know, that summer they got John Tavares. They added Jake Muzzin. And I think last year there was a feeling that, and I, I know I felt this, that the Leafs should have won that series. And after losing again, it makes sense that the heat should be on Mike Babcock. To me, he's never really elevated this team more than what the roster would, you know, should kind of where they should be. I thought last year they were a top three team um, in the Atlantic. They finished third. They lost in the first round of Boston. They The year before that, they finished top three. They looked on paper as a top three team. They finished third in the season, and then they lost to Boston. So... I think that he's met expectations. So, I mean, at this point, again, they need to they need to see whether Mike Babcock can bring them to that next level with this group of players. So I think that criticism in itself is warranted. Um, one criticism that I don't think is very warranted, which I might lose some followers on this, is the Austin Matthews ice time. Even Babcock responded saying that if you look at the number of shifts that Matthews got um, in the playoff series last year, it was one of the highest on the team. Um, he can't really control how long Matthews is on the ice. And and even this year, I mean, his his usage of the team has been pretty good for the most part. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I've so there's a few things that, like, in terms of Matthews' ice time, I think criticizing Game 7 is one thing. And because it's such a big game, I, I have a little bit more time for it. But... I'm not a big fan of criticizing Matthews ice time in an October game against Minnesota, for example. Like, it's not it's not like Babcock is is standing there with his watch and and timing every Matthews shift. Um, I think there's some things that he's he's done well, and I think one is, I mean, Zach Hyman, how he's used Hyman. Uh, at first, I was not a fan, uh, but. Babcock persisted, and, and it's worked out well, whether it's been... I mean, early on it was with Matthews Nylander. That line did well. Uh, and then, as of late, over the last... or just, just last year, it was Tavares Marner, and, and that line did well. So he's really gotten the most out of Hyman uh, in that line, where he just wins battles. Uh, now he's facing top competition, so I give him credit for that. Um, I think... Just playing Tavares with Marner, I I've, I like that duo. Not that that's rocket science, but I, I do like that duo. I like the Matthews-Nylander duo now. Um, if I had to... Uh, some of the criticisms I have would be, A, I can't stand line matching in overtime. Uh, the other night, it was Kapanen and Mikhaev to start overtime, I believe. And 
like it's such a short it's such a short overtime and it can end on any shift so uh, I would just start with your best players. I, I think you have to take the attitude that it's going to end on any given shift. Um, and then it, it does take him a little while to figure out who his best players are. So he's overplayed Komarov in the past, Connor Brown in the past, Patrick Marlowe in the past. And he's, it's taken a while for him to warm up to Kapanen and, and Janssen uh, specifically. I would say Dermot as well. Uh, so it, it does take him a while to kind of figure out who his best players are. Uh, whereas, like, I think Kapanen and Janssen could have provided a little bit more value last year at times, like, especially to start the year. I know Janssen got off to a bit of a slow start last year, but, I mean, I knew he was pretty good. I think everyone that had watched him with the Marlies knew he was pretty good and, and ready to, to succeed, and... I mean, it took Babcock a while to figure that out. And come playoff time, I think he's had better lineups. Uh, I didn't love... I would have liked to see Matthews with Nylander a bit more come playoff time. But, uh, I mean, I can't... The, the one thing, I know this is small, but line matching in overtime just makes no sense to me. And I know you brought up Komarov there. I, I know that he played Komarov last year on the three-on-three overtime, and that just was one of the most ridiculous things I ever saw starting Komarov on, in overtime. Two years ago. Was it two years ago now? Yeah. It feels like yesterday. I know. And then Lou went and signed him for, I think he signed a four-year contract. I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, I, Leo's good defensively. I'm sure he's good in the room. But to give Komarov the deal he gave him, so is it, he's got three more years left at $3 million. I'm just I'm I'm happy the Leafs don't have that contract. Lou just wanted to get a three-on-three specialist there, so he he, he had no choice but to... To pay them that much, <laughs> no. they needed that bad in, over in uh, in New York, <laughs> right? And then I would say it kind of annoys me the the inability to rotate players and out of the lineup. Like Justin Hall played his eleventh game last last night. He only played eleven games last year, so he tied the amount of games that he's played on October twenty sixth. Uh, so he set his new career high. I think Hall has been good. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that in a sec, but to me, you had Igor Zaganov as as the third right shooting defenseman last year. Why couldn't Holligan in the lineup more? You know, give him a chance. A, you get fresher players, and B, it's just like I don't like players just running in the press box, whether it's Levo, whether it's Hall. I know some people will probably roll their eyes at that, but I want to see players, you know, feel a part of the team and and have a little bit better of a chance to show what they can do and to be successful when they do get in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Hall has been good this year as well. I don't want to see him in the playoff lineup, but I think him not playing last year and even, I mean, this year he's, he's played more obviously, but I think that also adds to the, him warming up to players, especially Marlies that have come up. Um, yeah, to continue adding to what you said, Kapanen and Janssen started last year on the fourth line. Right. For Janssen, I didn't think it was too... I mean, considering their left wing last year, I, I think they started with Hyman, uh, Komarov, and... No, last year? Uh, I, why do you keep saying Komarov's on the team last year? You got uh, You must miss him. Yeah, I know. Was it, Wait, who who's on the left wing last year? Was Hyman? Marlo. Oh, Marlo. That's what I'm missing. Marlo? Yeah. So when you look at Janssen's competition on the left wing, he probably shouldn't have been on the fourth line, but... 
I think Kapanen coming off the, the playoff series that he did before last year, he got bumped up into the top nine and he played very good um, at the end of the year and into the playoffs. And then last year, he, he started the year back on the fourth line. And it didn't take him, it took him a little while to get back into that top nine um, again. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's he just takes too long to kind of bring those guys up. And I don't know if that's a contract thing or yeah. whether they he wants to warm them up in the NHL. Um, we'll see what happens with Dermot now that he kind of played a lot on the, the third pairing last year. And it looked like he was starting to play more top four minutes before he got injured um, alongside Dermot. I mean, alongside Gardner, sorry. So we'll see what happens when he comes back on Tuesday and, and you know, continuing into the season, whether Babcock's going to trust him to to kind of take on more minutes than what he was taking on last year. You know, also with Sandine, I mean, this year the, the he's, I, I thought they did made the right decision, uh, with him. But he, even the games that he did have, some of the games he he did he hardly played. So, and I know a lot of Leafs Nation wasn't happy about that. So, I think that that criticism is definitely definitely warranted. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I don't mind making the the Marley the Marley call ups earn more ice time. But, I mean, when I see. Justin Hall playing 11 games last year like when he does get in the lineup he has no shot of success like you can't not play for a month and then jump in the lineup and just pick up where you left off there's gonna be some rust and when when you do see these guys in the lineup then I think it it hurts the Leafs chances and you know it wouldn't hurt Ozagana for example last year to to sit out the odd game get a bit of rest see the game from the press box and and kind of take a step forward that way so I mean, the other thing I'll say about Babcock, I mean, there has been, there have been some some positives. Um, I've I've liked the power play over the last few years. It's a little bit different this year, and uh, we're still kind of to waiting to see how that'll turn out. But uh, I don't know if how much responsibility he has for that. Um, the other thing I'll say that I, I kind of roll my eyes at about, le- about last year would be the stretch pass. So last year, all you heard about was the stretch pass and how the Leafs do it too much. And now you hear, I haven't heard anything about the stretch pass uh, or this year. So I think last year you had, I mean, you had defensemen that struggled to move the puck. You had Polak, you had Zaitsev, you had Hainsey. Those guys couldn't really skate with the puck. They couldn't really make the short passes. Uh, effectively, um, like if you put me out there in an NHL game where I have no place being, I'd be, I'd be making the stretch pass too. I'd be saying, let's get this puck out of out of the end as soon as possible and get me off the ice. So, and then now it seems like they have at least better passers back there and, and guys that can at least skate out of their end if they have to, or at least threaten other teams to to make them think that they can skate it out. So. I think CeCe's a better passer than than Zaitsev. I think Barry's obviously very talented. I think Muzzin, getting him for a full year, that's a, that's a high-end puck mover. Uh, Justin Hall is a probably an underrated puck mover. I think he's got some offensive flair that we didn't see from, from Osagana, for example. Um, and then the wingers. Like, for me, asking Marlowe or Brown to, to take the puck low in the defensive end and... and carry it I, I just don't think they were there were players that could carry the puck 
very far. So I think now you have, I mean, I've liked Kerfoot, his ability to get down low in the defensive zone and kind of support his defensemen. Uh, I like Janssen, Kapanen more in those roles. I like Timishov there as well, uh, for a fourth liner at least. So I think they just have more transition skill than we've seen in previous years. Like, I don't think Babcock was at practice last year screaming more stretch passes. Like, I just don't, 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 I don't know if that's Babcock or if that was just uh, kind of the cards he was dealt or the, or the players he had on the roster. I'll disagree a little bit with whether Babcock's, I, I mean, I, I don't know if he's screaming on at practice saying stretch passes, but um, I think a lot of the criticism from last year and, and how many stretch passes we did see was because of the personnel that was there. If if I have Zaitsev, you know, and, and Hainsey and and whoever on defense, and, and I know that they can't make those... I mean, the longer the pass is, the more difficult it is to make. Um, if I know that they can't make that pass, I probably have my wingers not fly so high. And we right. saw that... but can... Yeah. Can Marlowe and Brown, for example, can they transition the puck from low in the defensive end uh, successfully? Like I don't see those guys as as guys that can do it. And I think now they just have a more defensemen that can they can skate with it and, and put them in better positions. Yeah, no, I don't and doubt I think... that. But I, I also feel that having them fly high and trying to dump the puck out has a lot. The risk reward is just not really worth it. And we saw that we saw Boston really, really, really crush us in that regard, where they'd have they bring in and, and Bruce Cassidy said it out in a few post game conferences where he said that he's he wants a four checker to come in, a little bit of physicality, cause a turnover, bring the puck to one of their forwards. The Leafs forwards were, you know, in the neutral zone, weren't able to defend, and they got a lot of goals off of that. So, you know, I'd rather have Marlowe and, and Brown at least attempt you know, they don't need to be the primary puck carriers. Usually it's the center that supports down low and has to make a pass to, to either, you know, stretch it out to the, the winger on the in the neutral zone or maybe the way the Marlies do it where the wingers are, are more on the half boards in their own zone still when you, they make a, two or three passes and get out of the zone cleanly. I would rather see that just because of there's a lot less room for error. And if there is error, then at least you have a number of guys in the defensive zone to deal with what happens after that. I feel that when the Leafs had those guys flying high and defensemen that weren't able to make the play, that if that went wrong, the the consequences were a lot greater just because of that. Yeah, I mean, with with the stretch pass, I think some... I think it was just overblown last year where you had... like For some players like Kapanen, that's a, that's a pretty solid strategy where you just send them and I mean he scores so many goals on breakaways but like for me a lot of the blame was placed on Babcock where I think it should have been placed on personnel like I do like having uh, players that can transition the puck from from low in the defensive zone and, and get an out and and start a successful transition I think the shorter passes are obviously higher percentage as you touched on um I, I wouldn't mind a few more stretch passes this year uh, just to maybe, you know, keep defenders on their toes and open up some space at times. But um, even with the Marlies right now, like back in the, when they won the when they won the Calder Cup, you saw, I mean, they had Janssen, Kapanen, and Moore. They had guys that could six guys that could successfully transition the puck from end to end. 
like now, like today, they only had 18 shots. Uh, I don't think they have the same type of transition skill right now. And as a result, I think you start to see it. Like no one's blaming Keefe today for only having 18 shots on goal. Um, but whereas, you know, sometimes I think it, the coach gets a little bit too much of the blame, but at the same time, like I do think he was responsible for, for part of it where he's overplaying Hainsey, he's overplaying Zaitsev, uh, he's overplaying Marlowe, and then you, you do see maybe worse transition skill than, than you would if those guys were playing smaller roles. Yeah, um, yeah, they definitely are more equipped to play that style and and i think because of the stretch pass and they have more guys that can make that pass they have barry they have muzzin to a certain extent they have riley and now they have dermot coming back um it's opened up a lot more short passes to that center and and like you said i mean kerfoot's been really good at, at doing that and and matthews i'd like to see him support the puck a little lower a little bit more often um, but, but he's obviously able to, to transition the puck up the ice. And when Tavares comes back, he's very good at that. But I, I, like I said before, I understand why the, the temperature is high with him. I mean, he's in his fifth season now. He, and I mean, they, they need to be, they need to, to do well and they need to be better than Boston and Tampa Bay. And that should be their goal. I think that they've finished third last year in the season and, lost to Boston last year and I, and they need to be there needs to be some progress this year and and uh I I've heard that a lot of people have said that the the clock is ticking with him. I'm not sure how close it is to happening and and if it will even happen, but if anything they're they're definitely going to give this team a chance to play in November when the schedule gets easier and injuries clear up and and their goaltending gets better before they make any rash decisions. Right, and I think with, I mean, whether it's the CC trade or Babcock being fired, I think people almost assume that the Leafs think like they do, and I think there's a little bit of differences there. Um, Again, I just hope, and I can almost, I can almost guarantee that this is process based rather than, you know, if like I don't, the last thing I want to see is. Babcock coach amazing the rest of the year, lose in the first round, and then get fired. Or vice versa, he makes horrible decisions all year, and the Leafs kind of fluke their way into a playoff win, and he stays on. So I think we need to continue to to look at the strengths, the weaknesses, uh, the mistakes he's made, the the, the positives he's, he's done, and uh, try to keep them as rational as possible, where I know after a Boston loss with no Tavares, no Dermot, no Hyman, and, and no Anderson. Uh, like, to me, I'm not going to fault him that much. So, uh, at least for not for not winning against Boston there. So, I think, and I haven't looked at the schedule yet. i got to see who they play over the next week. I'm just pulling it up here. So, they got Washington at home on Tuesday, which is obviously always tough. Got to stay out of the box. And then it looks like they don't play again until Saturday uh, in Phil- in Philadelphia. So, I mean, no back-to-backs this week. You got a tough game specifically against Washington. Uh, Philadelphia's got some good players as well. 
two good power plays, I believe. Um, so I think it's nice that we only have two games this, this week because it just buys Tavares a little bit more time. And I think once we see that full lineup, uh, and you, st- you start to see a little bit of a PDO bender for the Leafs where you have, you know, Anderson stand on his head uh, and you, you have, I mean, Tyson Berry is going to get some points eventually here. Like he's, he's almost a sure bet for 10 plus goals every year. He hasn't scored yet. Uh, he isn't at a point in 10. So I think we're going to start seeing, I mean, Marner's somehow Marner's leading the team in scoring. He's got 15 and 13 and, I think we just have another gear from him. We have another gear from from Barry, um, and once that happens, I think the Leafs could really take off and go on a stretch. So I'll put you on the spot here. Let, let's say the Leafs start winning a few games. They start they they move up in the standings. You know, once more teams play more games, and at the end of the November, they're third in the Atlantic, and they're they're pretty much PDOing their way into wins. Anderson's you know raises his his game and the team's shooting out, you know, shooting the way that the, we know that they can, but they're still getting outplayed on most nights. What would you do with the coaching situation? For me, it's not well, once Tavares is back, I'm expecting this team to to have good on-ice performances. Uh, so if they're if they're at full strength, if they're getting good goaltending, like win or loss, that's not how I'm evaluating the coach. I'm, I'm more evaluating on, on how they play. So, I mean, the St. Louis game, for example, where they lost, I thought they played outstanding. Um, so for me, that's that's a positive for the coaching staff rather than a negative. Um, like, part of this is on the players. I don't think, I mean, they've had a few, their fair share of slow starts. I'm not putting that on Babcock. I'm, I think that's just as much on the players, if not more. Um, but if we're... If the Leafs are struggling with with a full lineup over over a large sample, I, I think you have to to look at a, at a at a switch there. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not married to the idea that you have Babcock as your coach the whole season, but I'm not uh, screaming for him to be fired either. I think I'm I'm a little bit I'm willing to be a, a little bit patient here and, and you know wait till the thirty game mark until we make that decision. Yeah, I'm probably in the same boat as that. I personally, if if they're still, if their PDO kind of turns on its head, um, in comparison to how the year started, and they start winning games, but they aren't really outplaying their opponents, I think that it's only gonna get tougher for Babcock, and the fans are only gonna get more upset. And I guess the the leading candidate for the coaching job after Babcock seems to be Sheldon Keefe, and that's an opportunity that they can, you know, kind of strike on, and they can make that change whenever they feel like it's most um, most needed. So, and I mean, I guess it's an easy change. It's it's someone that's worked with Kyle Dubas before. They've found success at multiple levels. Um, he's coached the majority of the players that are on the Leafs right now, I mean, a lot of them have gone through the Marley system. So whether that's going to be better for the team or worse, I'm not sure. And that's probably, a, a you know, something that we can discuss at a, a future podcast if that. Right. And I think, I mean, we can talk about 
kind of strengths and weaknesses for Keefe another day as well if, if we get closer to the point where we think it's a real possibility. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll leave it at that in terms of the coaching. I think uh, a few things that I'm, I'm curious to watch for here is uh, in the next you know five so games, I think one is I want to see how that fourth line's used. Uh, they have they've had such extreme usage where they keep getting defensive zone starts, and I don't mind it. I mean, it's not it's not uh, it's not going to be good for Gauthier's scoring numbers, but uh, it doesn't matter to me. Like I just want to see the team used optimally, and because it's a little bit different from last year, and, and you'd get more offensive zone starts for the others. Uh, I'm just curious to see how long this continues. And then uh, I guess the biggest thing for me will be the shutdown pair uh, where, I mean, when Dermot's back, and I think we can we can expect to see Dermot on the third pair to start, but, I mean, is that where he is the whole rest of the way, or does Babcock ever try him in the top four? I want to look out for that. Um to me, it's going to be a big fault to Babcock if he doesn't at least try it. I want to see it. Um, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I want to see it. I want to experiment with a lineup with Dermot in the top four, um, just based on how he's looked in, in third pairings in the past, and I think he had a small stretch with Muzzin last year. Uh, I just want to see it. So uh, I guess the final thing would be the power play, where they switched it up. Uh, I don't know if I'm in love with it yet. Uh, the one-timer's nice from a shooting perspective. I don't know if it's optimal for Marner, who they run it through. Um, I see guys like Bracco and, and the Marlies, and he plays where Marner did last year as a right shot. And I mean, the Marlies' power play is outstanding. So uh, I'm not convinced that one power play is better than the other yet. I'm just going to be looking out for that. But uh, any other final things that you'll be looking for Nick I know that probably covered quite a bit of it yeah you kind of took all the answers there but um yeah I think with the power play since the last time that we talked I think it's looked a little bit worse um but again I mean it's only been four games since our last po- last podcast and 13 games and all so right it's early they're, they have a new coach and they're still kind of figuring things out so in terms of the power play yeah and, uh, and they have so much talent on that they have so much talent on that line and and so much talent but so little power plays yeah well that's a that's a problem for for a different podcast but one thing i would like to see is and i'm and kind of i don't even think this is thinking outside of the box but i haven't been too happy with the way riley's played on that power play um and i'd just like to see uh tyson berry on that top power play just to see how it looks as you said earlier in the podcast, he played a bunch of, of minutes with Colorado on that top power play and was very successful on that. Um, I don't think it's a huge downgrade for Riley to go to that second power play. I think he could, you know, he could help them as well. So, but the the, the first power play should be getting the majority of the time on that on, during the power play time. So, I think that you need to look at making that first power play as as good as it can be, and if that means putting Barry there, or at least trying it, uh, I think that's something that I'd like to see them look into in November. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that either. I mean, that's what Barry's role was in 
in Colorado and maybe free up some extra minutes for, for Riley at five on five or on the penalty kill. But, uh, that's, that's, a, I think that's a good suggestion. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent where I don't mind Riley there either, but, uh, it would be, it would be cool to kind of see Barry there, see what he can do and maybe help get his confidence up. Um, I'm going to touch on a few last notes here before we get going. So, uh, one, the Marlies dropped both games this weekend. Uh, I believe both were in overtime. Uh, they're not looking too good. I mean, they don't have uh, Kosala, who's one of their best centers. They don't have Marchment. Um, I, just their five-on-five offense isn't there. Their power play is outstanding, uh, led by Bracco. They're they're missing Adam Brooks right now as well. Uh, and and they might get some reinforcements if Timishov goes through waivers or Batan goes through. Uh, maybe they'll they'll be a bit stronger, but uh, they are I, I think a little bit weaker than we've seen in the past, um, partly due to injuries. Uh, Lilligren's been very good. Sandine's been been better since since the last episode, just two games. Uh, Aberg's playing well. I mean, we won't go into everyone, but um, I mean Cascasua is playing well. It's probably the last guy I'll say, and then. At the OHL level, Nick Robertson, who's leading the OHL in goals, uh, just looks just just looks like a steal. Um, and one, it's not just that he's leading in goals, but he wins battles. He's a good two-way forward. Uh, he had the hat trick, I think. I think it was last night. So, give him a shout out. We'll we'll continue to watch him. I'm sure we'll see him in the World Juniors, and we might even see uh, Erasmus Sandin trying to defend him. So, yeah, that would be cool. I think also um, a shout out is uh, should be given to Semyon Dargenchensev. I know last year a lot of people kind of soured on him after only six goals in the season, and uh, was it forty five points? I was looking at it earlier today, so my memory might be failing me there. But he's well above a point per game this year. I mean, and uh, I mean playing with Nick Robertson helps. Yeah, he's got twenty two points and just two goals, so he's got to shoot a little bit more. Uh, he might end up. He's already one third. He's already one third uh, away from his totals from last year, so that's a good sign. I know, but he's got to shoot more. Like he's, he, he might end up like Brack over. It takes him a while in the AHL, but yeah, it is good to see a bit of a turnaround there and him putting up a little bit better numbers. So uh, it looks like for this episode, we will be available on Spotify. Uh, we're hoping to be available on iTunes in the next couple of days. So hopefully, by the time this is up, we're also ready to be on iTunes. Um, any last words, Nick, before we get going? Yeah, I mean, I hope that next time that we have this podcast, we'll see some some more wins from the Leafs. I expect them to to start winning a lot more games, especially the way the schedule is looking. Um, it's going to be really nice to see Travis Dermott back and, and Zach Hyman. I'm especially excited for Travis Dermott. He's one of my favorite players. He's the spark that this team kind of needs. I think the last week has been... You know, a little bit, it's kind of dragged on, even, you know, the four games and two back-to-backs, and the, the losses haven't been fun to watch. And even even when they won on against San Jose, it was, it was a dominant performance, but a lot of people found that game boring uh, because of how low event it was. But I think Travis Dermott's going to come back, and he, he has that spark, and he's, he's such a fun player to watch. So I'm really excited for that. I think anytime you get, I mean, a few play drivers back and, Dermot, Hyman, and, and Tavares. It should should help the win totals. It should help uh, make the games a little bit more exciting to watch. So, 
we'll look out for that. But uh, I think hopefully next week we have a, a couple more wins. So this has been episode two of the Everything Reese podcast. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.